Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning, everybody, on a beautiful summer day. We're finally getting some summer-like weather. and In fact, uh, some, I was starting to forget how warm uh, Colorado summers can be, and our average temperature right around now is in the 90s. We, uh, we were a little under that yesterday, but it was still very nice. We're going to get close to that today, and then we have some more 90s coming. Now, we're going to get a few chances for rain. We don't have a lot of severe weather in the forecast, and it's going to be very scattered. So for the most part, it's going to be pretty dry until we get the start of what's called our monsoon season, which may or may not produce a lot of water. You know, a couple things are going on right now. One is the reservoirs are full, and even though a lot of the snow has come down, the rivers themselves, the water is still cool, especially in the upper reaches and we're going to talk quite a bit about that today the fact that it's really on the fishing is taking off the access is getting there a lot of drifts are going and rivers coming down where they're driftable and the warm water lakes are getting into their summer patterns finally the fish are still actually in a little bit of a migration from with the bait fish and that that's two to three weeks behind where it normally is now if we don't get a lot of calls for water we might be able to keep a bunch of those reservoirs fairly full. But, boy, if we get dry all of a sudden and don't get more rain, we have so much undergrowth, undergrowth the forest fire danger could get, uh, could get bad in a hurry, and it could change uh, the calls for water in the, the, the water in the reservoirs and the flows in the rivers. So we've got to monitor all that. We're going to talk about a lot of that and a few other things today. It's just a beautiful time to be out st- outdoors in Colorado. Let's go to the phones joining us. He's the editor of Trout Magazine. He's an accomplished fly fisherman, author, and a good friend, Kirk Dieter. Good morning, Kirk. Hey, Terry. How are you today? You know, I'm doing okay. It's hard. You know, when the sun shines in Colorado, it's hard not to feel good. (laughs) I I hear you. I hear you. It's like, boys, the summer, right? This is our time to shine. It's such such a great window for fishing right now. Well, you know, I have so many friends, and this goes across the board, and a lot of it's because of pent up in the winter. They love spring fishing, and a lot of times there's some big fish available, especially lakes during the spring. And then they love fall fishing when things change. Uh, Some people kind of think of summer as dog days and things like that, and I know it certainly isn't that in fly fishing, and that's what we're going to talk about it, but it really isn't that way in lakes either if you understand what's going on, but... The weather's beautiful. It's just time to be on the water in almost every aspect, isn't it? It sure is. And the thing that's special about this time of year is that all the options are open. You know, like you said earlier, some of the bigger rivers are coming down. They're driftable now. You can float. Um, The the lakes are obviously iced out, so there's, there's nothing to worry about that way. The small streams are on. The, the the hatches are going basically you have to wake up and decide what you're going to do if you if you fish here and uh, you never have more options than you have right now why don't you take us through a few of your favorites sure so i you know i live up in, in steamboat springs and uh i've been fishing a little bit of everything and yesterday i was on a lake i was down by stagecoach i um 
you know, caught a couple fish. It was fine. Um, been doing a lot of hiking into the backcountry, a little, uh, little creek stuff with fiberglass rod and a little dry fly. Might be my favorite stuff. But then I also got the drift boat out and was able to float on the Yampa River. Um, that's coming down now, and the window for that's about to close. So uh, still waited, of course, but uh, the floating on the big river uh, will switch over to the Colorado. Colorado is just coming down. Uh, it's about 2,000 CFS in the upper stretches, and that's about right. So, you know, every, everything is, is wide open. But I especially like when the wildflowers are out and hiking into the high meadows and, and, and doing that and getting some exercise and exercising a few fish along the way. Yeah, I think uh, the high country, you know, people don't realize a lot of that access even on good years, it's almost July before you can really get up and take advantage of it. And with the amount of snow we had now, and the, the fish are going to be in good shape, the flows are going to be in good shape. I know a good friend of ours, Steve Schweitzer, wrote a couple of books on high country uh, hiking and fishing that I'll probably get Steve on here in a week or two. Uh, it's just a different experience. You know, Karen and I like to fish Rocky Mountain National Park quite a bit, and there's yeah. such... The park itself offers such a variety. I can go up there and fish the meadows, which are lower down, and virtually drive up to where I want to fish. I can walk a short distance off the roads. But we've done hiking up using llamas to carry the gear. We've gone up by horse horseback all the way up to the high alpine lakes. And I was surprised the high alpine lakes, the quality of fish you can find in some of those lakes is just tremendous. But the setting of the park, to me, and, you know, I started as a conventional fisherman, took up fly fishing later in life, and fly fishing to me isn't, it's just a different aspect of enjoying the outdoors. And when you're, like you said, a light rod making casts in those small streams in a setting like Rocky Mountain National Park, it really doesn't even matter if you catch a fish. You're absolutely right. You know, I, the more I fish, and I've been doing it a long time, uh, it's less about the systems and more about the places that you're in and the people that you're sharing the experience with. So that's that's always what it boils down to for me. And now's a great time to get out and share those experiences with with people that you really like. So and it's a good time to introduce somebody to fishing if you want to mentor somebody. It's a good opportunity. You know, the thing of it is with the the lakes and some of that high country stuff. It's almost self-regulated in, in other words you, you know you can't get there and fish so the fish have several months off right they're, they're not they're not um, beat up and when you find them and now you've got this little window and they're ready to play so it's it's a pretty it's a pretty fun thing when you get out there and experience that i think one of the and most incredible things is some of these high country lakes and streams is the size of the fly you can use that like a big terrestrial for some of those fish. People just underestimate what they'll hit. Yeah, yesterday or two days ago, I was fishing with a, a size 10 Amy's aunt. You know, Jack Dennis's uh, special pattern that he created years ago, and it's like tried and true. And I, I love it when we're starting to transition now from we still see the mayfly hatches, you know, there are pale morning duns out, there are caddis flies, um, trichos are starting to happen in a lot of places. But, uh, you know, the real, the real appeal is 
throwing the fish a, a T-bone steak, which is a grasshopper-type fly, some any kind of terrestrial, and watching them come up and eat that, it's pretty special. It really is. I like it, too, because I don't have to make a delicate cast. I can plop it down because they plop down, and I can see the flies because they're big with my old eyes. So I can pretend I can still throw, fish, fish pretty well. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I, I, I have to remind myself sometimes, though, not to uh, pull the fly away. I see the fish coming up to eat it, and you have to almost count to three in your head before you set the hook on some of those. And uh, if, you, if you have the patience to do it, it works out fine. But sometimes I'm not that patient. I know. We tend to react. That's what really happens. Hey, you're also the editor of Trout Magazine. Uh, what, do you got an issue coming up? Anything special in it? I mean, there's always something special, but tell us about the upcoming issue. Well, I appreciate it. And, and we are really excited about this next issue because Trout Unlimited is unveiling its list of priority waters for the future. So we're prioritizing the rivers and the drainages that we're going to really work on to improve and uh, there are 200 of them throughout the country and they're they're listed in this issue and we've got stories about some of them and uh, what the challenges are and what the opportunities are and um, you know in Colorado for example we're going to be working a lot on the Arkansas Basin the Colorado River Basin the North Platte and South Platte and the Rio Grande and uh, but that's not to say that we're not going to be working in other places at all it's just to say that those are big stories and big opportunities. And so this issue is dedicated to talking about our priority waters and, and how TU is going to go forward and, and fixing those. So I also, I understand you have a couple new columns too. One called Mythbusters. Yes. Yes. So the, the famous Tom Rosenbauer from Orvis has agreed to contribute a regular column to trout. So I'm really lucky. I have kind of an all-star lineup with, um, Tom's joined uh, to, to dispel myths, and in this column he wrote about, you know, trout don't, don't always hide right behind the rocks where people think that they do. There's just a little bit off to the side. So when when Rose, people listen, and, and we're really happy to have him join along with John Girak and, and Christine Peterson is doing a, a new column for us in the back about being a mom and... Uh, it's just, it's really rounded into a fun magazine for me to edit. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So how do people get Trout Magazine? I mean, obviously I know, but why don't you tell them? Sure. Well, thanks. Again, it's, if you're a member of Trout Unlimited, you get it. It's four times a year, and uh, we'll, we'll send it to you in the mail. Um, you can also sign up for our newsletter for free. You go to tu.org slash newsletter. Um, and subscribe. Give me, give us your email address. Every Friday, you'll get a, a newsletter, Trout Weekly, and and then for thirty five dollars a year, which is you know, we try to make a magazine that's worth that by itself. But you know that for your thirty five bucks, you're going to get the magazine. You become a member of Trout Unlimited, but you're also fixing rivers and putting back. So it's, it's you know your subscription doesn't go to a big company somewhere. Uh, your subscription goes to fixing rivers and making fishing better. And that and that's what Trout Unlimited, a lot of people think Trout Unlimited is a fly fishing organization. And, well, a, a vast majority of the members are fly anglers. It's actually a conservation group. It's, it's both. You can't have one without the other, right? I think 
anglers have been instrumental for 60 plus years of Trout Unlimited in fixing rivers and making things better. And, you know, if, if there weren't people who were interested in catching the fish, the fish wouldn't be taken care of as much as they are now. And uh, so the fishing is a big part of it. We want to help people along the way and teach them tips and tricks and get the most out of their fishing experience. But then again, you know, you can't have fishing if you don't take care of the water. And it is a conservation organization at heart, absolutely. And we're, we're all about making rivers cleaner and better for future generations, not just right now. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot. You're up in Steamboat Springs, I assume. That's where you live. I want you to give me, just quickly, two places you want to go trout fishing in the next week. One if you live in Denver and one if you live up there. Okay, so if it's easy here in Steamboat Springs. It's the Yampa River runs right through town. I mean, you can go and get an ice cream cone when you, you know, in your waders. But uh, there are big fish right in town. So um, the Yampa's great. The Blue is great if I'm heading down towards Denver. Um, it's on right now. Um, I would, though, if I were in Denver, I'd probably run out a little bit to, you know, oh, I'd go, I'd go, to, I'd go to fish the Arkansas, um, out by Salida. That's, I hear that that's fishing really, really well now too. And that's about an hour and a half away. So lots of, and you're going to have, go ahead. Well, there's, there's, there's lots of options. Those are the easy ones. And, you know, there's a million other ones that I won't name by on purpose because it's fun to go explore them on your own and I'm not going to spotlight them. So, uh, you know, lots of little creeks between here and there. That's for sure. I mean, there's between where you sitting and I'm sitting right now, there's probably a, a thousand fishable rivers and a thousand fishable creeks and streams and, and just, they're all on. I would take uh, a, a grasshopper, a handful of them, maybe a couple of droppers and head to whatever the nearest river was where I could get a, a place that wasn't too crowded and that's where I'd fish. My friend, we got to go, but thank you for, as always, for joining us. It's always a pleasure. Have a great, great week and get out and fish yourself. Okay, bud? All right, we will. Thank you so much, Kirk. Kirk Dieter, he is always a great asset to us, Trout Unlimited, TU Magazine. He's got some other projects coming up he's going to tell us about and you know what we forgot to uh, talk about kirk's books uh, little red book of fly fishing and the black book of fly fishing uh, he's an author accomplished author with his books out there look for his books him and charlie meyer uh coordinated on one book and then the other one i i'm choking on who he did it with but they're just fantastic fantastic books we'll take a quick time out when we come back, we're going to change things up a little bit because the Bears might be getting out of hand in Colorado. All that and more on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Jack's has stores up and down the front range. Uh, if you're an outdoor, you know, even if you're not an outdoor enthusiast, check out a Jack's store. You'd be surprised what you'll find in them. Let's go to the phones. Joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Joey Livingston. Good morning, Joey. Good morning. Um, you know, Joey, we have a robust population of bears in Colorado, to say the least. And typically, bears and humans can coexist pretty well, both uh, around suburban areas and and in the high country or in the 
and the backcountry and the mountains and wherever bears live. But this time of the year, they get pretty active, and you really have to be cautious, don't you? Um, yes, you do. We've got, it's hard to, hard to put an exact number, but between 17,000 and 20,000 bears in the state. And uh, most of the time, they avoid people. Um, they're very, um, you know, scared of people in most cases and will avoid them. But um, food sources are always an attractant um, that can draw bears to homes and uh, towards camps and um, along hiking trails and things. So always important to make sure that we're trying to keep food away from bears so they don't associate people with food. Yeah, I think the number one time, now we're going to talk about a couple of different things in this segment. One is about if you encounter a bear in the wild, but when bears come into a campsite, when bears come into town, or when bears come by house, it's usually because they're starting to learn to associate humans with food, isn't it? Yes, it is. And it can also be a seasonal thing. Um, so we do tend to see uh, most of our reports between around June and September or October. Um, that's when the you know, bears are very active. Um, and as we move more into the fall, um, they're going to be trying to put on weight for the winter. And so they'll be eating up to 20,000 calories a day and be very active out there looking for food. So, um, you know, between probably July and September, um, it's, uh, that becomes the most important time of year to make sure that we're not providing that food for bears. Now, before we get into some of the most common things that attract them, one of the things, this year we had a lot of moisture going in. There's a lot of undergrowth, a lot of roots. There should be a reasonable amount of berries. Will that affect yeah. it, or is it, does that go too quickly? Yeah, natural forage can have a, a huge impact on bear um, activity um, in urban areas and bear reports that we receive. And so it has uh, been a pretty, I would say, good year um, as far as natural forage goes um, with all the moisture that we've had. So lots of uh, um, scrub oak, lots of uh, berries um, out there for the bears. But this can also, you know, it depends on location as well. Um, Colorado can be vastly different in different parts of the state, but I would say for most of the state, um, there's plenty of natural food out there. And so what that means is usually if there's plenty of natural food out there, the bears don't have to um, come looking uh, in cities or trash as much. Now, some bears will still do that. Um, it can be a learned behavior that they learned from their mother the previous year. And so some bears will still you know, rely on, on trash um, because that's what they were taught to eat. Uh, but for the most part, most bears um, don't do that and are going to be um, out looking for food. But always still important to make sure that we're um, not providing food for bears. Now, I know we've covered this a number of times, and I also know there's a whole bunch of information on Parks and Wildlife's website, but go through some of the common food sources for people so they know what might attract bears. Yeah, trash is the number one attractant um, that, that brings bears towards towards humans. Um, so things that you throw out in your trash, um, you know, chicken bones, food scraps, anything that's got a high fat content um, can be a huge attractant for bears. They're looking for the most calories um, as easy as they can get it. And so um, also things that are near your home like birdseed. Um, birdseed is, is a very high-calorie um, food source for bears. And so when they, they'll learn to associate and just um, by sight see a bird feeder and know that that could potentially be a high-calorie food reward once they've gotten that once. Um, other things that people don't always think about um, would be like your barbecue grill outside. There's like a grease trap on there um, that c catches any um, residual fats 
um, from cooking hamburgers and such. And so those grease traps can be a very big attractive for bears um, once they learn to associate them um, with, with that fat. And they can smell that stuff from very far away as well. And even if you leave stuff, even like a candy bar or a chapstick in a car, they can smell that. Isn't that right? They can. We've had some bears um, get into vehicles this year. Happens almost every year. But we had um, a, a pretty cool video of one of our officers getting a, a bear out of a truck. Um, and, yes, any um, food that's left in there can be an attractant, um, even an old fast food bag that might have some french fries in there um they can smell that and even some other um like deodorants or perfumes that have kind of an outdoorsy you know maybe foodsy sweet smell um can also attract bears as well so what should i do if i if a bear comes near my property what's the proper procedure yeah, so we want to, we recommend trying to haze the bears. Now, we, we want you to do this safely, um, but we want those bears to be scared of people. Um, we don't want them to think that, you know, we're not a threat to them. And so if you do see a bear, you know, say you're inside your home and you see one outside the home, um, try to maybe open a window and make some noise, clap your hands, um, yell at the bear, try to make it feel uncomfortable. And if it uh, just won't leave, um, but it's still pretty far away, you know, from inside your door, um, you know, try to grab something that you can throw towards the bear that can usually reinforce um, that you might be a threat. But always make sure to do this safely. We don't want you running towards a bear or approaching a bear. And so say you're outside and a bear um, comes up towards you, um, you want to make sure that you stand up tall. Um, you don't want to be crouched down or sitting down. Um, so stand up tall, make yourself look big. If you have a coat or a jacket, spread that jack jacket out to make yourself look bigger. And uh, don't approach the bear, but you can uh, back away slowly. You also don't want to turn and run. Um, that can just make you seem like you're less of a threat. But if you uh, just stand tall, make yourself look big, make some noise, and back away slowly. And I think the last thing I want to mention before we run out of time is that even if you think it's kind of neat to watch these bears, attracting these bears in or letting them associate humans with food, whether you're in the backcountry or in, uh, in your yard, um, there's a two-strike policy. If these bears become habitual, you're going to be the detriment to that bear. Yes, that's correct. So, um, you know, most of the time uh, we will leave be, leave bears alone um, and we don't intervene. But um, occasionally if we do have to intervene and trap and relocate bears uh, if they're becoming a nuisance. So um, we do have a two-strike policy for those nuisance bears. Um, so f first incident, we would um, trap them put an ear tag on them and take them a hundred or so miles away um, out into the forest somewhere with the hope that they will stay out in the forest and not come back into urban areas and become a nuisance again. Now, if that bear um, does come back and uh, continues to be a nuisance um, at that point, um, it could get a second strike. And unfortunately at that point we would have to euthanize. Um, it just becomes too big of a threat um, to human health and safety. I mean, these are large animals that are several hundred pounds, um, very big claws, and you know, they will avoid people in most cases, but um, the more they um, are around people, the more they think people are not a threat or associate people with food, they will get defensive over food sources in, in some cases. Um, once they become too big of a threat, CPW does step in and euthanize them. And I think the biggest thing is be aware 
there's uh, information on Colorado Parks and Wildlife website on how to interact with all wildlife, both in your home area and on the trails. And if a bear continues to come around, the best thing is call Parks and Wildlife, right? Exactly right. Um, and I would recommend, you know, if maybe just seeing a bear if you're in a bear, you know, area where a lot of bears are. If it's just moving through the area, it might not warrant a call. Um, but if you see it getting into trash in the neighborhood, if you see it just hanging around in a tree near a home, um, just give CPW a call. We've got a thorough tracking and reporting system for bears, and we get thousands of bear calls every year. Um, very rarely do we actually go out and, and make contact with the bear. Most of the time, um, our goal is to work with um, uh, residents, homeowners, uh, to make sure that they are, you know, have all these this bearware knowledge. And when you call your local office, they'll also know about bear activity in your local area and can give you some tips and pointers on um, trying to keep those bears from coming back. Joey, we are out of time, but thank you so much. Again, people go to Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We want you to get out, enjoy wildlife, even watching it. Just do it safely from a distance and understand wildlife behavior. Thank you, Joey. Yep, thank you very much. You bet, Joy Livingston. We're going to take a time out and we come back. Austin Parr is going to join us. We'll get a fishing update on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, on, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 1043 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1043 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones and joining us, he does on a regular basis. He's one of our favorite contributors, Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. You know, we were talking to the editor of Trout Magazine earlier in the show, and he's just excited because he says it's prime time for fly fishing. It's on. And I think that's true for just about everything. We've gone through a wet, water-level-changing, temperature-changing kind of spring where the fishing has been good at times but different. I think we may finally be starting to settle into true summer patterns on all aspects of fishing, don't you? I would definitely agree with that, and I think this is going to be a season where uh, with these higher water levels and, and better snowpack early where it came off on runoff a bit slower, we should have some really nice flows and hopefully some lower temperatures later into the summer where that dry fly action is really going to be picking up. I couldn't agree more. I think, well, let's start with the fly fishing. I want to cover a lot of things with you, but... <clears throat> Right now, the fly fishing is just, uh, it's its on everywhere, isn't it? I would agree with that. I mean, we still have some higher water here and there, um, but in a lot of places that have been seeing that higher flow, we're starting to clear up a little bit right now and get dialed in on some of those uh, better hatches that we would normally be seeing right now. Like, for instance, at Cheeseman Canyon, uh, the water is now not coming over the spillway anymore, and we're coming just down through the lower releases, so the water temperatures have cooled off a bit. Fishing has been good up there, and then I've also been hearing really good reports on some of the Freestone Rivers, particularly the Arkansas and up toward the headwaters of the Arkansas near the Hayden Meadows area. Uh, there's been some fantastic dry fly dropper fishing where the hoppers are really starting to appear and then dropping some PMD or caddis nymphs below in some of those pools and edges of the deep water runs. Man, those fish have been coming up and, and really aggressively attacking those hoppers, and we're seeing the same thing really kind of all over the state. Great reports up on the Upper Eagle as well as even the Colorado. Yeah, and when you say meadows and droppers, I start to drool about fly fishing. I think it's <clears throat> hopper dropper or dry fly dropper. A lot of terrestrials, not just uh, not just dry droppers, but ants and big beetles. 
all of a sudden it gets to be a whole lot of fun. I would definitely agree. And for folks that may not know, what that means is you're taking a a large terrestrial, which is many times a beetle or a hopper or just a standard big dry, like a humpy or a caddis, and you're tying that on to the end of your tippet off of your leader, and then you're taking another piece of tippet and tying it off of the bend of the hook and dropping it down between 18 and 24 inches typically, and then you're tying a beadhead nymph on down below. So that rig acts as both a fly and a bobber rig where you're casting it out. If the fish eats that top dry fly, fantastic. Set the hook and, and you got it. But you can also be drifting that fly through those pocket water areas. And if that dry fly abruptly gets jerked under, many times that's a fish that's on that nymph rig. And you can be fishing both the nymph and the dry at the same time. And it's a great way to fish skinnier water and especially small pockets where a large indicator rig can be a bit clunky and you can't get a nice drift through. So it's one of my preferred methods for the middle to late part of the summer. Let's switch gears a little bit. What about some of the mountain lakes? What are you hearing? So a lot of the bigger high plains lakes have begun to slow down just a little bit. Spinney and Antero have both still been doing well, but in general, um, it's been more of, you know, an early morning, later evening type time frame. The water temperatures are getting up just slightly, but there's still some good fishing to be had. On the fly fishing side, balanced leeches as well as scuds have been uh, particularly effective if you've got some wind, but also there's been a good damsel hatch that has been coming off as well as some calabatus here and there. So those are all some good presentations to be fishing around the weed edges, but conventional anglers are also having some success early in the morning along the outside edges of the weed lines. Your standard tube jigs have been productive. But then as the day progresses, particularly at 11 mile and spinny where you have a bit more depth, anglers have been having good success utilizing lead core as well as even some downriggers getting down to some of that cooler water and trolling things like Tasmanian devils and jointed rapalas and your number nines and number sevens have been pretty effective. Uh, The brown trout color is always one of my favorites up there, but getting down just a bit more has been good. But then shifting to some of the deeper water lakes, Granby and, and even Green Mountain have had good lake trout bites. I did hear one really good report on Green Mountain where some folks were, were trying to kokanee fish, not really catch them any kokanee, but uh, really struggling to keep those lake trout off of some of their kokanee rigs on the downriggers and the lead. So that was effective. And then there's been a really good bite on some of the deeper water structure at Granby for your eater fish, uh, you know, the smaller sub-22 inchers. And the tube jigs, as well as um, some of your jigging spoons have been effective. Whites, a lot of time, I really like a lot for those smaller fish. But if you are targeting some of the larger ones on on those same deeper drop-offs, I will many times increase my size, but then also go more of a muted color, like a dark green or a brown. Yeah, I, I tend to do very much the same. You know, it's funny because when somebody would ask me, jigging for lake trout what's your number one lure i say well you need to have a white tube jig in your tackle box and that being said it's one of the few i take out i go to other colors sizes and shapes even though i i know white is one of the predominant i don't know if that's just a a mental thing that i think i've worn out the white but it still works it does for sure and i mean i feel like i'm the same way as well it's a very popular choice many people are utilizing it but for good reason because it does work and um, you know, it's a great thing to go with a three and a half inch brown or a three and a half inch white tube is, is a killer lake trout pattern. And you tip it with some sucker meat and find those fish on structure and you can be in for an action packed day right now. couple minutes left. What's going on on the warm water side? How about Pueblo? We don't talk much about Pueblo. What's going on down yeah. there? 
Pueblo's been doing well. It's very similar to a lot of the other front range and eastern plains lakes where there's a big shad population, and those shad have hatched. They are around. They're still pretty small right now. They're in that, you know, inch to just slightly under one inch range, and they're pretty high up on the surface. And right now we're still in a situation where they're not quite big enough for all of the fish to be specifically targeting them. So we still have walleyes and smallmouth out on structure points. So on the deeper water points, Middle Island, over off Ship Rock, as well as on some of those drop-offs on the southern side have all been productive. And Pueblo is a really nice one, too, because even if you're not super familiar with your sonar and good, having good maps to find that offshore structure, you can fish off of shoreline structure and get right up off of those points. So looking for that area between about the shallowest, I've been really doing well, has been that 13, 14-foot range. However, there are some shallower for the walleyes, but even shifting out to 20 feet, and then things like blade baits have been barely really effective, but folks are still catching a lot of fish on the leech bite, both being on jig heads as well as slip bobbers. So that will be going for, I would say, another one to two weeks, and then once those shad get to a large enough size, We'll be needing to transition into a trolling bite and or trying to work the jigging wraps and the, the blade baits and the jigging spoons really hard. My friend, we are out of time today. We've been running behind a little bit, but if people want more information, where do they find you? I'm a discount fishing tackle. We're six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. All right. We'll get, we'll get you on again soon because this is going to be, a, I think, a great finish to the summer, don't you? Look, looking forward to it. I, I can't wait, and I'm going to have to get a fly rod into my hand here before long. All right, thank you, Austin Parr. You always time. a great, always a great resource, and we just love having him on. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, the folks from St. Pete's Fly Shop in Fort Collins are going to join us, and we're going to talk some more fly fishing right up here in the Northern Front Range on Terry Wixom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 1043 The Fan. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from St. Pete's Fly Shop is Thomas Worcester. Good morning, Thomas. Morning, Terry. How are we doing? We're doing good. You know, I got a quick question before we get into fishing. I always say St. Pete's Fly Shop, but technically, I guess it's St. Peter's, isn't it? Oh, I think it, uh, it depends on who you ask. Uh, personally, I think the abbreviated version is going to be St. Pete's. And, uh, I think we hear that a lot from some of our more, you know, kind of regular customers. But, yeah, it, we're traditionally, I mean, the, the name is St. Peter's Fly Shop. So, uh, if, if, just, I looked at, to, if I looked it up online, how would I Google it? It's actually, uh, you could Google it as St. Peter's Fly Shop, but our uh, URL is stpeets.com. All right. Very good. Thank you so much. Well, so what's going on? You know, we've been hearing off fishing reports from all over the state today, and people are getting excited, and we've got, we had a lot of rain. We had a lot of snow. It's kind of flows are settling down, but the, the fish are healthy because we've had good, cool water, and uh, we're kind of getting into summer patterns. And uh, what I'm hearing around the state is it's kind of it's on. Is that what you're seeing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a, uh, these, these next couple weekends are going to be the, the, the most prized in my uh, whole year. Um, I really you know kind of wait all year for this you know bug situation to be happening, especially on our local waters. Uh, you know, nice when you don't have to drive a couple hours to go find some good fishing. We've got it right in our backyard. Why don't you take us through some of the fishing that's right here in our backyard? Yeah, so I'd say uh, this year more than ever, uh, especially post-fire and floods, uh, the lower and mid-canyon have been fishing, honestly, uh, phenomenal. Um, a lot and we're talking are, the pooter here, right? 
Yes, sir. Yep, absolutely. Okay. And, uh, you know, a lot of folks, uh, you know, are still still keen on going uh, pretty much the upper all the way to the lower. But I think a uh, majority of our guides have been focused in that mid-canyon. Um, so, you know, just something to think about for folks. But the amount of bugs is really what sets it aside right now. Um, so it's one of those situations where definitely having a couple varieties of different patterns is going to benefit you. Um, but those fish are looking up for dry flies. Now, when you say you're fishing the mid to uh, uh, lower river or throughout the canyon, you know, a lot of people have shied away because of the fire and floods that you alluded to, and they were going up above the fire to fish or way down through town when the water was cooler. Yeah. You and I had a conversation earlier in the week, and you said people don't realize the number of fish that were in tributaries and pockets that stayed in there, and then the fish that have migrated back, and you're, it's less crowded, but you're catching as many or more fish than ever, you told me. Absolutely, yeah. And I think uh, it's surprising to hear that from the guides. You know, each day you get back and you ask, where, where were you? Where were you fishing? All that stuff. And um, just seems more often than not at this point right now, they're sticking to that canyon section. So, and honestly, finding some healthy fish. Yeah, and it's, is it difficult? Is it technical? Or have those fish been maybe neglected long enough where you can make a mistake or two and still be okay oh yeah well we've got a ton of different uh, varieties of stoneflies around and this year we've been trying to educate folks on the the ability to you know throw a mend in there that might be a little bit more aggressive than you know say your traditional mend and it actually is benefiting you with the the small amount of flutter that you're getting on that fly seems to be a, a heavy trigger point for some of these more picky and um i guess older fish if you will yeah, you know, and that's a, a point that you're teaching some nuances. One of the things about fly fishing, you can watch all the videos, you can look at, read all the books, you can study it. But one of the quickest learning curves in fly fishing is to get out with a guide and let them fish with you or watch you fish and give you pointers because it's these little nuances that you're not going to pick up watching a video or reading a book that's fishing with an experienced guide just really accelerates that learning curve doesn't it absolutely yep and especially coming off of high water season i think it's uh these fish are spread now uh we've kind of started bumping around to the 700 down to the 600 cfs level on the pooter um which is starting to open up a lot of real estate for these fish so um, the ability to read water is playing a huge role as well as the ability to uh, select flies that are you know a little bit more in tune with what the fish are looking for what are some of the other waters you're fishing uh, we just uh, wrapped up, or uh, about to wrap up, I should say, a great uh, great season on the North Platte. Um, we've got uh, a lot of boats up there doing guide trips throughout uh, some of the different sections. Um, but that's uh, one of the main resources, and now they're starting to you know, make that transition over to Wyoming, um, more or less in that Alcova region. But, um, you know, the, boot, the Pooter and the Big Thompson uh, have been starting to come into shape, and I think all the guides are super excited for, uh, you know, the amount of bugs we've got and, uh, you know, the, the transition of the season into something maybe a little bit more in, enjoyable. And, you know, the high country, we're finally, we had snow for a long time. We had uh, Kirk Dieter on earlier in the hour from Trout Magazine, and he's just excited now that the high country is accessible, and he thinks it's just prime time to be in the high country. It really is. I think uh, this weekend I was torn between that or doing some uh, big game fishing for muskie. But, you know, I think it's, you know, you got to hit those windows just right. And I think right now those fish are, you know, wrapping up, majority of the high alpine lakes, wrapping up their spawn and uh, starting to look for food. So 
Um, not many people realize it, but we actually do have permits to guide in Rocky Mountain National Park with a, a slew of different lakes in there that are all filled with either greenbacks or other fun species of cutthroat. You know, I fish pretty extensively in the park, and everything from hiking in to driving right up to a, a, a stream or a lake to um, taking horsebacks up in there. And one thing that I always, up, up until maybe about 10 years ago, my mindset was, I love to fish the park just because of the setting, and it's kind of the essence of fly fishing. And in my mind, it was always real small, light fly rods, maybe with little oversized flies sometimes, pocket water and smaller fish. But, boy, when you get into some of those alpine lakes, that smaller fish goes away. Yeah, oh, yeah. You can be surprised with some of the, the, the fish that have hung around over the years. And uh, my favorite part about them is they only have so often to eat. You know, I'd say, uh, you know, four to six months to eat the food that they would normally in a whole year. Um, so, you know, especially with it being a late season with ice off, um, I think that's only going to be more of a more of a factor when we're out there fishing. Yeah, it's amazing what a great job Parks and Wildlife has done of keeping fish stocked in some of these, not just the park, but high alpine lakes all over the state and where you can get away from crowds and find very willing fish that will eat some very large flies. Speaking of large flies, I think the theme over the last couple of weeks I've been hearing with everybody is that because of the wet spring we had and early summer, all the growth, that they're looking for a big hopper dropper or dry dropper season which is always one of my favorite times to fish. Are you looking to that, too? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're starting to see the hopper bite pick up, but we've still uh, thankfully had a ton of big stoneflies around, whether it be golden stones in the lower canyon uh, to the smallest of sallies. But uh, we're still seeing tons of salmon flies in that mid to, uh, you know, kind of upper canyon as well. So there's still an ability to get out there and chase big bugs. But I think for us right now, we're just happy to be throwing anything on the surface. Is, is this unusual for the salmon flies to be this late aren't they usually earlier in the spring you know i'd say yeah and uh, over the past couple seasons it seems to be that they've, they've been hanging around for a while um and you know taking a while to work through the different sections of the canyon because as that season progresses those uh, those bugs start to transition up uh up in elevation for people in this area why don't you tell people about your shops where they're located what you have to offer and how they find you yeah, we've got two shops in town. One's located right downtown Fort Collins in Old Town off of Remington Street. Uh, the other is a little bit south of town on, on the crossroads of Timberline and Harmony. Um, but, yeah, real exciting stuff coming up. Uh, I think uh, we've got a big event coming mid-August with Umqua. Uh, tons of great deals being had then. So uh, if you got some time in you know, that mid-August time frame, keep an eye out on our newsletter, uh, website, all that stuff for some awesome deals. And your website again? stpetes.com, so that's S-T-P-E-T-E-S.com. Okay, well, Thomas, uh, thanks for joining us. Great update. And, you know, I think we're at that time of the year where you don't have to drive across the state. Like you and I living in Fort Collins, we've got the Pooter and the Big Thompson, the park, just a short drive away. we got a lot of fishing just within minutes of our homes. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it, Terry? It's tremendous. It's a great time of the year. I love it when it's hard to choose what you want to do. Yeah, it's, it's almost too tough. Uh, but, you know, either way, you're going to have some fun. That's the beauty of it. All right. Thank you, my friend. We'll get you on again soon to get an update. All righty, Terry. I'll see you out there in the water. All right. Thomas Worcester from St. Pete's Fly Shop, two locations here in Colorado. You know, the shops really can help you advance your fly fishing. Speaking of somebody who can help you advance your fishing, we're going to take a timeout. 
and one of our favorite contributors, Mr. Nate Zielinski, who forgot more about fishing than most of us know is going to join us and get us all educated on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.